Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 31. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our past. This means, if you're new to the show, every time one of us gets to choose a movie or TV show that the other person's never seen, Mm -hmm. and then enforced viewing ensues, then we have an opportunity to learn more about each other by rehashing it, debriefing, debriefing, conversing, whatever it is that we're doing, spinning our wheels, perhaps. So actually, despite how much I'm talking, it was not my choice this time. It It was your choice. And tell us what you chose. Uh, We have determined the name of this film. If you remember last episode, we couldn't remember the name of this film. Uh, It is Woman on the Run. And the reason I can't remember its name is because it doesn't actually involve a woman actually being on the run from anything. She's actually looking for her husband, who is on the run. So it's, and it actually is based on a book called Man on the Run, which actually makes a lot more sense. Somewhere along the line, yeah, <laughs> a producer said, "Wait a second, the protagonist is a woman. Yeah, the lead. How can we call it Man on the Run? It's true. The lead, the she is. Um, Give us a year and context and all that because we just have a title. That's right, Woman on the Run from 1950. So this is a noir film um, with Anne Sheridan and is it Dennis? Dennis O'Keefe. Dennis O'Keefe and Robert Keith. Robert Keith. All the Keiths or Keith. There's an O'Keefe and a Keith. Yes. <laughs> We'll try and keep them and straight. And it is uh, shot on location in San Francisco. Um, amazing. Mm-hmm. Running around the city looking for her husband. Um, her husband wis- uh, witnesses a shooting, a mob shooting of some sort. While out walking the dog yes. late one night. Uh, the dog Rembrandt. <laughs> um, and so the police want him to serve as a witness and... He runs away, essentially. That's that's the first five minutes of the movie. They need their witness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the police have to find him. Presumably the killer is trying to find him. Yeah. And the, his wife is the only connection. Yeah. So they the detectives go and find his wife, pull her out of the house in the middle of the night, um, and then proceed to follow her around. Um, she's actually quite good at dodging the police in the pursuit of finding her husband. During the course of the movie, she discovers more about her husband. When we first meet her, she's not very positive about the state of their marriage. It seems like she doesn't spend much time with him. It feels like it's on their last legs. Yeah, essentially. Um, The good times are over. (laughs) He's a painter. Yeah. And working at a department store, designing the mannequins, sculpting the mannequins. Sculpting the mannequins, yeah. Doing the window display mannequins. And so when we first meet her, she's not feeling her marriage um but throughout the course of the movie she discovers more about her husband's life um and and like bit by bit including a a letter he writes her where he gives her a hint on where to find him Mm -hmm. um she discovers that he is indeed still in love with her after all even though she thought that he was not she also discovers that he has a heart condition which like brings a little bit of more like why she needs to find him quickly he's he's in actual jeopardy (laughs) not just because the mob is after him because he's the only witness 
but because he's got a heart condition and he needs that medicine. Yeah. So there's more reasons, <laughs> more at stake than, you know, just getting him out of town or whatever. So in addition to the, you know, hard boiled detective who's trying to get her to lead him, lead him to her husband, we have a journalist or a proclaimed mm-hmm. journalist. He says he's a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> um, sort of befriend her and offer to pay her money if he can get a story um so then you so that you you kind of have that trope that you get a lot in the old crime movies yeah. and stuff, or just you know the the two that are together in, yeah in hunting down the same person he's tagging along and irritating her and all that and he seems to have a little bit of a crush on her seems he's seems trying like, to strike up yeah. the banter and the easy familiarity yeah. while sort His, of hindering slash stealing clues along the way that she's yeah. finding right to, yeah. to try and get to the husband first get the scoop first get the yeah. scoop first yeah his his stated thing is that he'll pay the, that he'll pay the husband a thousand bucks which will help him get out of town if he gets an exclusive story yeah so what i want to know though is why did you choose this movie and how come nobody's ever heard of this movie before <laughs> Um, so the reason I chose this movie, I saw this film and I don't remember if it's, it must've been 2015. Um, Noir City is a film festival that they do around the country. It started in San Francisco years ago at the Castro theater. They would show all these great noir films. It's like films. my alma mater. Yeah. Yeah. At the Castro theater, they would show these. So the, I want to say it was the first or second time that they did the Noir City in Austin, but they also travel around to other, I mean, I noticed they do it in Boston, they do it in New York. So they take the same group of films and show them all around the country. And it's a Noir City festival. It's a, over a weekend usually. I think in San Francisco it's five days, but most everywhere mm-hmm. else they shorten it to two days. So mm-hmm. it's just a weekend. They kind of take the best of the festival yeah. on the road. So um, the one here in Austin was in May of this year, which makes me guess that it was in May of 2015. So that would have been the only year that I could have seen it because of reasons. Um, <laughs> I did not. Um, so um, we went and saw this, um, Not not you and me. Um, my I would ex- have remembered and then it yeah. would have qualified for the <laughs> yes. show. Um, my ex and I went to see this and, you know, I vaguely remember them trying to tell me the story of how this came to, to light, but this film was like lost and it, presumed lost forever, forever. Like there was an no old, in existence. terrible VHS copy that you could see that you could record off of TV that somebody you know, so there must have been a dupe of a dupe of a dupe print at some point that somebody, you know, that played, made the TV rounds yeah. every once in a while. Terrible ago. condition, probably shown on AMC or something yeah. like that. Um, but through a set of... Pro, um, there were people looking for this film. Essentially, the the guy, Eddie Muller, Eddie Miller, yeah. Muller um, who runs this festival, his, his... I mean, he's written tons of books on noir... America, you know, all of that sort of thing. And so he was looking for this film because he thought it was great, but he saw this terrible print of it, you know, terrible VHS copy of it. And um, he just thought it was gone. But they were doing a search through the Universal Archives or something, and they found um, an agreement with the 
production company of Woman on the Run. Which was Fidelity Pictures. Yeah, and Universal was the distributing company. So they had an agreement that Universal would retain a copy of the of one of uh, a pristine print um, if the agreement to display. If the distribution agreement didn't go any further didn't wasn't go, renewed wasn't renewed then they would retain an archival print in so the they vault. found this this documentation so they said well universal you've got to have contractually you're obligated to have a copy we have the document <laughs> that says you guys have a copy in the vault so they um you know they they looked in their database couldn't find it in their database but they sent that documentation to someone who could do something about it and he was like well this says we should have it so they did an actual manual search rather than looking through the online database or i guess not online but this was computer yeah well no i don't think it was because it was like 2000s um anyway um it's like 2012 so (laughs) um anyway so they were they did a manual search they found this print, a beautiful print. Um, they arranged it to have it... Sh- Showcase think, it at the Castro at the Theater. Castro. So they premiered at Castro. <laughs> think of this, though. And never seen in 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Presumed lost forever. Finding a print in the vault. It's, one of, it's like kind of known as a definitive San Francisco film mm. noir shot on location in San Francisco. Mid-century San Francisco. Yeah. They... Are programming programming it on a double bill with the lady from Shanghai. Yeah. Also, film noir shot in San Francisco by Orson Welles. And what's the little bit about the projection room? So story? apparently, like at some point during this, the, he gets called to the projection room and like he freaks out because he thinks something. This is all in the little booklet that mm-hmm. comes with the thing. Um, he gets called up to the projection booth and he thinks there's something terribly wrong with the print. Have and, you seen the print? Yeah, and he like walks in and the projectionist has got like these pieces of tape on his fingers and like he's he's trying to maintain his serious thing and then he was like you know i'm not going to ask you if you've seen this print before and he says it's and then he grins he's like because no one has seen this print and the tape that's on his fingers are the is the original tape that was around the print from the from the lab yeah so no one it's it's an unseen we're about to screen tonight (laughs) a print of this film that has never been run through a projection ever before this is the first time ever yeah so they, they showed it at Castro. They showed it around some other places. And then because there wasn't a distribution agreement, it went back to the Universal. And I... So that must have been the early 2000s because in 2008, there was a fire at Universal Studios. You saw it after all the fire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I did. So this, I saw the, it in The story gets even better. So this beautiful, pristine print was destroyed with a bunch of other backstock at Universal Studios. If you Studios remember, there was a the fire, fire. Workmen left a torch on or something or yeah. whatever. And the really flammable, you know, nitrate <clears throat> and they film lost stocks a, goes up. a good up. chunk of um, the archival film prints in the vaults at... It was a universal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was it. Yeah, presumably. that was it. That was, it was gone. Um, so, you know, that was sad. He, luckily this guy, uh, had illegally <laughs> made a copy, a digital copy of this print. So he had a digital copy of the film, which is technically piracy. So what you, <laughs> when he contacted Universal to see if Woman on the Run was lost in the fire, yeah. and they said, we're really sorry to tell you, yeah. but it's gone. It, it, we can confirm that it was lost Go, in the yeah. fire. He said, well, 
I maybe happened to make a, a digibated copy of it when I had it for the, the Castro yeah. screening or whatever. It's <laughs> and they're like, okay, that's good stewardship. Yeah. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably now good. your video copy is now the only copy left. So, you know, fast forward a few years later and B- the British Film Institute has mm-hmm. just created their own database of all the stuff that they have. And they were just putting it online. So they had uh, this guy like as a tester of their database. So he decides because his passion is more film. His first thing that he decides to search is this lost film woman Let on the run. Let me type in woman on the run in the BFI and he, database. Sure enough, there's a print in the it's BFI. It's a dupe yeah. uh, print <laughs> yeah. from, you know, when it when it was sent overseas but it has a damaged soundtrack reel <laughs> so the only so the soundtrack for the version that has now been released on DVD and that screened at the festival yeah. that you saw has the BFI print restored digitally restored mm-hmm. probably physically yeah. too and with the soundtrack that on the guy's digibeta dupe bootleg yeah. copy so it's they saved a movie. <laughs> this is a weird story. There surely is like a an archivist or librarian at the heart of this who yeah. who was able to find the letter. Yeah. Maybe it was Eddie Miller. Yeah. <laughs> who found the letter that said that the thing even existed in the first place. Yeah. Before it was lost to the So planet. I would watch a movie about the saving of this movie. I know. I was like, did he write a book about this? Because I would read a book about it. Well, it's it. interesting. He did, but it w- it was in French. It went out okay. with the French uh, publication of this of the DVD that came out, I think, in 2013. So anyway. So you're the beneficiary of having seen the movie at the festival after all of this has played out. Yeah. It's gone back on the road to come to Austin. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I, I was excited to see it because... And so I would have seen this in 2015, which was before the first time that I went to San Francisco, which was also in 2015. Um, but I was excited to see it because um, I like Nor films. Um, it is fantastic. And <laughs> it's just so good. And I, Dave and I were friends then, and I knew that he was from San Francisco and that he loved the place. And I, I was frequently in the place because we were friends to be like... You should see this movie. And he was frequently in the place where he could not because he was responsible for kids. Human five, beings. Yeah, like yes. four days a week. So Yeah, small ones. <laughs> um, so I always wanted him to see it. And I'm so glad that we finally got a chance for you to see it. It was amazing. Yes. It was amazing. I, I'm, so to go from not knowing that this film existed... And still, not I'm not really familiar with the actors and actresses in the film. I didn't know Anne Sheridan... Um, it, it's just amazing. I mean, well, look, you hadn't seen her in anything else. I'm sure I have, yeah. but I don't know her. I can't mm. connect name to face in her case. I, I like, I have my little in my brain IMDb database, and nothing comes up for her. Yeah, I looked her up last night, and I'm sorry, I don't remember what it's what stuff she's been in yeah. before. But um, so, what is unique about this film? What's different? How is it? How? Why is it? Why is it? <laughs> why is it why are we responding to it like this it's not just the story of how it survived well she's such a great i mean like she carries the film she's amazing there's all these great little bit characters throughout it but i mean like she pretty much has to carry the the and like she just does such a good job of from the very first like you know who she is like she's She's, you know, you know, the state of of her relationship, you know, how she feels about things, you know, and I don't know. It's so you have you have um, I'm going to try and riff on that. Yeah. You have 
a woman at the heart of this story, mm. a female protagonist who's really strong. And she's funny. She's funny. She has agency. <laughs> she is not a femme fatale. No. She's not a gangster's mole. Mm. She's not a dish rag left behind, dish, whatever it's called, mm. doormat. Doormat, Whatever, yeah. you know, um, who is helpless with the husband being yeah. in trouble or anything like that. She she's no she stool pigeon. Is off, <laughs> she is off to find him and like set things right and figure out what's going on from the get-go. And I don't know a lot of movies from this time period that have, you know, your woman protagonist climbing up and out of yeah. uh, out of the skylight and onto the roof to get away from, you know, the cops and authority yeah. and, you know, the guys who say this is how it has to work and we're going to you're going to work with us and we're he's going to call in and we're we're going to trace the call. No, she t- when her husband calls in, she tips him off that they're going to trace the call. Go yeah. run, honey, run, you know. <laughs> and then, <laughs> Well, what's interesting and to me, yeah. yeah, I mean, her immediate distrust, of, well, both her and her husband Immediate distrust of the police, which is and rightly so because yeah. they're, they're 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 not they all, got their own agenda, you know. <laughs> they have their own agenda, and they're not all that good. No, no, at what they do, they're, they're not very comforting at the guy who's just been shot at. You know, they don't seem like they're going to protect him very well. For one, you know, yeah, they they don't build any trust or any kind of. <laughs> But their police methods yeah. are so immediately they're they're they like completely focus on her. Yeah. And they're going to stake out her. And I'm like, what about his job? And yeah. why he's if you, if you just leave one guy at the apartment, he's going to come back and get his stuff. I mean, it's just yeah. like they immediately set into motions this sort of weird. We're just going to wait around. And, well, I mean, I want to say that this is like a big case that yeah. they're that this is like their reputation like of the, the force on yeah, the line or something like that. probably the crime lord of yeah, San Francisco. That they're trying was, to, yeah. to bring down, you know. But the thing is, is that, the I don't know. It seems to me like that it would be more diffuse than that. Like the guy who does the murder would probably just be a flunky that's trying to murder the witness. I don't know. It, do, it doesn't make sense that, because he's only going to be able to see who did the murder. He's not going to be able to, but maybe they're, Hoping to get their hands on the guy who did the murder so that they can, you know. I think they're trying go. to build the connection. I like see. your yeah. your thug killed, who we know is killed this to witness. You, killed this witness. Yeah. Tried to tried to shoot the, the witness, of, witness of the yeah. killing itself. And we will connect that person to the the big yeah. guy and bring bring down the whole operation. Yeah. I think it's one of those <laughs> we're gonna bring down the whole operation with this case. Um so you have this wonderful character. What's her name? Eleanor, Mrs. Johnson, Eleanor. Mm-hmm. You have, um, so even though I don't think the the cop, the main cop, in, yeah. Inspector Ferris, is necessarily all that competent as a yeah. policeman, he's an interesting character. And I just... And the only detective in San Francisco, apparently. Yeah, apparently, because everything that comes up in the movie, he's involved all in. The you know, all, all, all the murders he has to go to, yeah. Um, but he's played by Robert Keith. Mm. And I wouldn't have been able to tell you his name, but I immediately recognized him because I just watched Douglas Sirk's Written on the Wind about okay. about a week and a half ago when we were on vacation and you were away. And teaser, we're going to do that on the show at some point yeah. because I think it's that good and you're going to connect to it. But Robert Keith in, if anyone out there has seen Written on the Wind, the Douglas Sirk movie with um, Rock Hudson, Robert Stack, um, and Lauren Bacall, mm-hmm. Robert Keith plays the... Um, 
the patriarch of the Hadley oil empire, the old okay. man who's, you know, with the picture of the, the oil derrick behind him on the wall and, you know, at yeah. the big desk and the cigars and all that kind of stuff. He's great. He's got like a, the smoker's voice, mm. you know, lifetime, like, <laughs> um, he's a great character and he's, what you were saying earlier is about, I think you were starting to get to the richness of, of all of the characters in yeah. the movie, even down to the bit parts. Now he's yep. a supporting character. He's maybe one of the leads. He's not a bit character, but it's unusual that they have time to do things like he really likes her dog. Yeah. He's like, and he, t- he takes around. her dog to the vet. <laughs> yeah. You know, he takes the dog <laughs> when he's hanging out, you know, just sort of waiting for uh, Mr. Johnson, Frank Johnson to come back to the house. He takes the dog for a walk, you know, yeah. he's, <laughs> feeds the dog, you know, yeah. Um, so it's interesting. He's not a bad guy. He's no. not necessarily a competent cop, but he's an interesting character. Yeah, she's really good at slipping out away from him, you know. And not just him. There's a, you know, I guess plainclothesmen that are hanging around, but she's able to slip. First time she climbs out the roof, I guess. Yeah, that's what out. I was saying early on. Like one of the first things she does is they're they're just posted there yeah. to wait for him to come back and 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 to supposedly protect her. But she's like, no, I'm not going to sit yeah. around here. Well, and the second time she slips her tail by, I think they just go down an alley in a cab. Yeah, they. she has a um, a female cop tailing yeah. her in street clothes who's following her in a cab. And they just ditch, they ditch her ducking down a Chinatown alleyway. And then the third time she doesn't poison her dog, but she puts hot sauce on the dog food so he won't eat it. So they, she's like, oh, no, my dog won't eat. We need to take it to the vet. And That's then she slips stick. out the back yeah. is how she escapes the the third time from the cop, you know, so. <laughs> she never has that much trouble ditching the no, cops. She's no. pretty good at that. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a big city, I guess you can. And, you know, those tiny streets and thoroughfares and, I mean... And that's that's one of the things that I love so much about this film is that like it's filmed on location. There's all these great locations around San Francisco. It looks like San Francisco. So that's like <laughs> you knew this was going to happen, but that's like what I'm obsessed with this. Yeah. Like I love movies shot on location in San Francisco. And this is early location shooting it. Mm. This is 1950 and you're starting you're already I think seeing it in um film noir shot in New York city and stuff like that. That's sort of like, we're taking the camera out onto the streets and we're going to, we're not shooting on the back lots. We're actually in New York or under the Brooklyn bridge, whatever we're shooting in alleyways. And so they've actually, they're, they're shooting on the streets in San Francisco. You're getting to see what San Francisco, my hometown looked yeah. like in 1950. They're, you know, filmed in, she's in a real, you know, um, streetcar, streetcar apartments on, in the, California street area. Mm. Um, so recognizable. Yeah. Well, I was, and I, cause the I've Chinatown been making stuff is yeah. actually in Chinatown. In Chinatown. Yeah. Well, I was, I've been making a study of, um, our American houses and there's a particular style of, um, uh, townhouse that's specific to essentially San Francisco. Yeah. And it's these box bay windows mm-hmm. as opposed to the sort of slanted bay windows, which are more common else places. So, I mean, like you instantly know it's San Francisco. It's interesting from the very first scene, which is shot like in the dark on a stairwell. Yeah. Um, I was looking at it and having been in San Francisco three times now, 
I was like, that can't possibly, that doesn't look like any stairwell that I've seen in San Francisco. I was baffled. I thought it could be in San Francisco, but I couldn't place it whatsoever. I was like, I know stairway, stairway streets, but that, I was like, that's, that's well, not and then we watched the, the there's a little feature afterwards on the D, on the then and now locations. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually a stairwell on, on Bunker Hill in L.A. So there's a couple yeah. of sh- but Which it's is, still on location. Well, it's really it's in interesting. LA? Yeah, right. it's really interesting to me. Well, it's cool because it's at night, too. Yeah. You know, that must have been shooting at night. And during that time period, it must have been really difficult. A lot of this is shot yeah. at night. But like we had just been to L.A. in December and we did an architectural tour of downtown L.A. And they talked about Bunker Hill, which has since been torn down. Yeah. Um, so it's like 50s L.A. too. There's there's not that stairwell doesn't exist anymore there either. You know, so it's, it's interesting. Some of these films shot mid-century are the way that you can see what what the city looked like and what life was yeah. like and what the architecture was like, what shops were there, what bars were there. I mean, they were when they shot um, in restaurants and bars in this movie. They weren't in sound stages. No, they're shooting in a booth at the window, and you can see San Francisco street traffic on yeah. Market Street right outside the window. And it just seems like I know that wasn't done very often, and it's so unusual and so fascinating. Yeah. So I have to say, every once in a while, I would get distracted <laughs> from actually just watching the movie because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Union <laughs> Square. Square. Yeah. It looks exactly like that. It still, still does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's not know, a there's not a TWA. I know exactly there where anymore, the camera but, tripod yeah. is set up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but and then other times where. Um, I'm like, this part of the city does not look like this anymore. Yep. You're down at the Embarcadero, you're along the the, the piers and stuff mm. like that, where in the film there are still all these sort of Army-Navy surplus stores and, and like really shady bars, completely remade now as well, like yuppie interesting. restaurants. And, you know, that's a that. history that, I mean, like virtually in San Francisco doesn't, what is it, the, the home weeks that the Navy does? Yeah. Is it short, when everybody has shore leave? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a word for it, but I can't think of what it is. But like I they have know. all the, all, you know, down there they have all these like Navy surplus shops, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why, you know, San Francisco is synonymous with the these like peacoats with the hats because, you know, it's cheap clothing that you can buy from these used uh, mercantiles yeah. of Army Navy supplies that have been <clears throat> sold by soldiers on, I mean, not so, I guess, seamen? I don't what are Navy Navy people called? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Sailors? Sailors. No, I know. That doesn't I, sound I, right. I know. But anyway, um, that, that you know, sort of does. And he actually, at one point, the, the man on the run, uh, her husband, does at some point, they sort of trail him down and mm-hmm. discover that he's traded in his trench coat for a pea jacket. A pea coat, yeah. With a... With the little naval cap yeah. thing. <laughs> so, um... Other things that stood out as out of the ordinary or and, and in a good way was you had scenes shot in Chinatown in like a speakeasy or a restaurant nightclub mm. kind of thing. And, the China Garden and it's cast with Asian Americans. Yes. He's got Chinese Americans playing, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is not a normal <laughs> thing necessarily. Yeah, well, I think um, Sam. I just looked this up. Yeah. Sam is a Chinese American. Yeah. Um, the the woman Susie is actually Japanese American. Okay, and she was actually her family was interned in uh, Gila in the, River yeah. um, in the internment camps, um, and then she came back. I think she was in Flower Drum Song as okay. well. Um, 
But and then um, Sam was in a bunch of the Charlie Chan movies as Jimmy Chan, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, and then also Mr. Moto movies, which I'm not as familiar okay. with or at all, you yeah. know. But um, yeah, and so it turns out the director Norman Foster actually directed he made a, a lot bunch of those. Of those right? Charlie Chan. He probably brought him over from yeah. from that work. <laughs> yeah, but. I think all of that, the shooting location on the streets of San Francisco, you've got this really fast-paced story with really fleshed-out characters at the heart of it. Um, And then you've got the Asian-Americans, and you're shooting in Chinatown clubs, and you're shooting in actual San Francisco dive bars. Yeah. Um, It has this feeling of authenticity, (laughs) even though it's like a pulpy crime movie. Well, I love when... They go into the, across from the the Chinese restaurant, there's a bar, Sullivan's Grotto, mm-hmm. I think is what it yeah. is. And the bartender is Irish or he has an Irish yeah. accent. Sullivan's, yeah. Yeah. And so he is, when they walk in, just as like background noise, he's offering the menu options to the oh, woman it? at the bar. And one of, corn, corn beef and cabbage and egg foo young, yeah. you know, so. You want something to eat? <laughs> we got egg foo young and corn beef cabbage. Yeah. Take your pick. Because we have both. Yes. Yeah. And that's. The neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought another strong point of the movie is that even though, of course, it's foregrounded is this thriller plot, this mm-hmm. crime story of this woman trying to make, con- you know, find her her husband before the mob does or before the cops do or before he has a heart attack or before he has a heart attack or before the journalist does. Yeah. She's kind of, you know, neutral on that. Um it's also the story of it's it has this internal story mm. of her like learning about what their marriage was actually like and how he actually felt about her mm. and how she might how she actually feels about him and whether yeah. they have a chance still or not so there's this emotional story that's kind of playing out so that different clues that affect the crime story also lead her to insights about her marriage yeah you know some of those are plot points you don't want to give away necessarily if you yeah. want to see that, but yeah, he gives her a hint in the letter, and yeah. then she's trying to figure it out, and she immediately thinks that it's something negative because of the state of where she is in in her in her marriage, where she thinks she is. It's interesting to me that I, I you know, I guess he he experienced a lot of personal disappointment, professionally mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah. And that may have made him close himself off emotionally so that, you know. Well, he's an insecure yeah, artist. Yeah. He was painting all the time, but was afraid to call himself a painter or to really show his work to anybody. And yet he, that was his passion and, and what he was doing. Yeah. And then, you know, they're running out of money and he has to get a crappy job yeah he didn't think much but of he's it, he's but good at it though he's good at it you know and we he, find out his co-worker sculpting yeah <laughs> the heads of mannequins yeah. and she goes there at one point to his work and sees that the faces of the women he's sculpting look like her yeah he's well, modeling one, her and the one the one she sees initially is kind of angry looking yeah, she's like he, and she has this whole thing cold. about this is how he actually saw yeah. me but disdainful, cold, aloof. She has the opportunity to see some of his other work at Later a different on. point. Yeah. And um, 
And then, you know, she meets his coworker who like Mavis. tells this Mr. great Mavis. story about like his youth and like all these stories she didn't know about things that he had experienced in his life. So his coworker, yeah. his coworkers adore him. Yeah. They're like, he tells us all these stories. All he the time. defends us against our boss. He's the know? only one who listens to me when I want to sing a new song. I yeah. learned like one of the female coworkers comes yeah. in. Mavis just thinks he's amazing. He's like, yeah. he always tells us all these, like when he was in Tahiti that yeah. time and the other time where he loved, you know, it was in this part of the world. And she's like, he never told me any of these stories. Well, it's know. maybe they had this like whirlwind romance, but they didn't take the time to get to know each no, other or something like that. Fast yeah. In those days, yeah. you date and then you marry. and Yeah. They don't spend years showing each other movies. Right. <laughs> we are married, though. Yes, we are. <laughs> we weren't married when this podcast that's started. True, that's so true. That's a we plot podcasting point. That's a soon. plot point in the development of this show. <laughs> Mr. Mavis, by the way, his his coworker, the, the the meek little guy who's so pleased with all the stories that he tells, and like he he's the guy saved his job yeah. once. He loves him. Frank is amazing. We love Frank. Where is he going to be? Oh, the boss is going to be so upset that he's not here. That guy is this wonderful little character actor named John Quaylen. And if any of you out there have ever seen His Girl Friday, the original, um, Howard Hawks, Cary Grant, um, John Quaylen played Earl Williams, the the little guy on death row. Mm -hmm. The the entire story revolves around trying to get Earl Williams off off death row because he shot someone. Um, He's also in Grapes of Wrath as one of the people that Henry Fonda as Tom Joad meets along the way. So like I recognized his face right away and I couldn't quite place it, but he's in all of these like thirties and forties movies. And he's just always been a really rich, funny, real character actor. And I like that, even though this is not, you know, Humphrey Bogart and, you know, Robert (laughs) Mitchum and, uh, you know, Lauren Bacall, you have um, a really competent, really interesting cast. I think Norman Foster, even, you know, maybe he made lots of Mr. Moto movies, but he was knee deep in the business and had a good group of people to work with. And reading a little bit about him, I knew his name was familiar. I remembered that he worked a lot with Orson Welles. Mm. I don't know if Welles was actually like a mentor. I don't know that much about it, but I know that he, there's a, there's a film, I think it's was incomplete or unreleased or maybe documentary or something i don't it's been so many years yeah. since i read about it called it's all true mm-hmm. that wells was working on in the 40s um and norman foster um worked on some of that okay. i think he shot one of the sections of it and then he did he actually did what i remembered his name for was he directed a film called journey into fear which is around the time of citizen kane and mm. third man and it's and it's orson wells and joseph cotton again starring together mm-hmm. in one of those sorts of like intrigue it's okay. an, i think it's from an eric ambler pulp mystery sort of thing um but it's around that time of the third man. So it's got that atmosphere and chiaroscuro and noir and, but Orson Welles and all that. Yeah. So, um, if he was directing Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton, he, he also was working with some of the best and, and knew what he was doing. I think. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. It does. Look I'm good. so <laughs> happy that this film exists. Yeah. I didn't even know anything about it until you mentioned there's this movie and I don't think you could ever think of the title. I could never think of the title cuz it although it's funny I rem- <laughs> we were watching this and the end there's a great line um I don't know who wrote it you know one of the screenwriters but um and I can't just describe- It was Norman Foster co-writing with somebody yeah, I can't remember who it was. There's this great line where um 
Miss Johnson says the location that they're at is uh, more frightening than romantic. And um, the journalist that she's with says that's what love is like when you're young and life is like when you're old or something to that effect. Yeah. And it, I, I remember writing that down. I had it like I wrote it in my little notebook that I carried around with me. And then I think I posted it to social media. So it came up in my memories the other day. But um, wow, it just happened to come out up in the same week. Well, I think it's yeah. it, it was a couple of weeks ago during, you know, <laughs> but that's right yeah, like we two were, years we ago, we or, you this. know, or three four years ago, three years ago, something like that. Whenever 2015 was four years ago. <laughs> and as all great San Francisco film noirs should end, we, we culminate in a big set piece sequence mm-hmm. in um, the amusement park yes. at the beach. Yes. I mean, pr- so purportedly it's, it's Playland at the beach, um, mm-hmm. which used to exist, which has been gone since the early seventies or I think. Yeah. Um, Cause it was never in my lifetime. Well, no and it, it actually, the actual location was Santa Monica, but most of those beach it's a playgrounds, stand in for, but that one is gone too because yeah. they built a new one out on the pier in the mid seventies. Yeah, yeah, in the mid seventies. So n- neither in LA nor is in San Francisco but does that exist anymore. Even though I don't remember it, yeah. my I grew up listening to my family tell stories about Playland at the beach with the roller coaster and the the amusement rides and the the booths and the mechanical things mm-hmm. and Laughing Sal. They have Laughing Sal in the movie. Yeah. The, the, like mechanical. Laughing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Laughing woman cackling. <laughs> My um, grandparents had a house on the cliff in, mm. uh, in above Sutro Park, above um, that beach. And my mom says that when they lived there, you could hear on an even on a quiet evening, you know, in addition to the surf and everything of the ocean down there, you could always hear Laughing Sal. Like cackling <laughs> up, like up the hill <laughs> from their place. That's amazing. So, um so she's got a cameo in the movie, even though they yeah. didn't actually shoot it at Playland. They they shot it locally in Santa Monica, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, it was that type of a thing there. Yeah. Well, I suspect that, you know, they're all modeled after, you know, Jersey. Yeah. You know, Atlantic City. Santa, uh, Santa Cruz still has the yeah. boardwalk. Lost Boys. Yeah. You know. and so, us. I mean, you know, that would have been like the height of that would have been like the 20s and 30s, you know. Mm-hmm. So even in the, you know, 50s, that's kind of you know, starting to be a little, you know, old, you know, has that sort of broken down, you know, CD thing about it, you know. <laughs> so we haven't talked a lot about um, Leggett, the character of the journalist, but that relationship is pretty central for they're paired up a yeah. lot of the time in that sort of um, 39 steps kind yeah. of way where you've got two people who have the same goal. They're trying to get to yeah. the same person and they're stuck together sort of yeah. well he's really on her yeah tailing her yeah to get what he wants which is the story um, so he's he's tall he's blonde he's attractive he's kind of um he's got that charisma thing going on that's he's a little vaguely cocky. irritating he's kind of yeah. cocky he's yeah. kind of arrogant he thinks he's all that yeah he's, you know he's witty mm-hmm when she doesn't want to hear witty. Yeah. She just wants, she's down to business. She's always trying to ditch him and he's always one step ahead or yeah. like right beside her. Yeah. It works. Mm-hmm. Well, I, to me, it's really interesting to, the, the emotional shift that goes there when she goes from being the sort of 
tart, sarcastic, not very happy woman to one is she slowly realizing that her husband still loves her and that she still loves him and like the change in her personality, but how that affects her interactions with this guy, you know, Uh because she starts out kind of, you know, playing against him. You think that something might be developing. like one of those romantic comedy kind of relationships for a while. For a little bit. And then there's that shift when she, when she figures that out and she tells him that. And he was like, well, that, I mean, like you can see how it affects him and you think it's affecting him emotionally, but I think it's really just affecting his game plan in getting what he wants, you know? So he has to kind of switch tacks at that point, you know? If he seems like he might be kind of untrustworthy early <laughs> yeah. on, there's a reason for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he like he still plays up that like I think I I had a crush on you or or something like that, you know, in his scheming to get you know the story that he wants. Just before we started recording, uh, I wanted to, I had us kind of look up what else was released around the same time because I was trying to get a handle on where were we in. Hollywood film history and film noir the like the year this came out and so for context I think you knew right away well Sunset Boulevard was the same mm-hmm. year so you had the great Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard one of the uh, another great film noir film um in a like lonely big place. budget noir film though <laughs> one of my favorites yeah. in a lonely place yeah. which was one of those strange it's so good <laughs> things like when we first got to know each other I was flabbergasted that you knew the movie in a lonely place yeah like you had credibility. Yes. I don't know a lot of people who know, who know that film just in, you know, even people who like movies or old movies. It's Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. So good. Um, Nicholas Ray, director Mm -hmm. of, um, the James Dean rebel without a cause Mm -hmm. and many other great films from the time, but it's a great hard boiled, film well if if Bogart neither if neither one of if either you hadn't seen it or i hadn't seen it then there would be the, the w- focus of this show so yeah. we're just gonna have to say <laughs> because we can't do an episode on that that you all audience should shut up and watch in a lonely place, place at some yeah. point because it's that good it's a great film well you know where i found out about that a, film was actually <laughs> a one-woman show by julia sweeney that, I think that quentin tarantino produced <laughs> I know that you made this connection for me at some point. Yeah. And we've, we've done the Julia Sweeney thing off yeah, yeah. podcast, but that was something you had mm. me sit down and watch a couple of years ago. Well, it's, I, it's one of that in, oh God, what is it called? God said ha is what it's called. Yeah. And to me, like I found that film at Hastings in Lubbock and watched it. It's a recording it. of a one woman show that she did. Right? Yeah. And, I watched it and it was so moving to me when I was a teenager and I've watched it at every stage of my life. And like, it seems like weird that this thing by a Saturday night live comedian is so affecting, affecting and, but it's about her experience of her brother dying of cancer and then her simultaneously also being diagnosed with cancer. Um, and all the things that are going on in her life, but that happens, but that has shaped how, in, in a profound way, major parts of my life and how I reacted to major losses. And, you know, it gave me permission to, to laugh and cry. And like, so I don't know, it's one of those things that really 
brought a lot of depth to yeah. to, to my understanding of things. So, I mean, if sometimes we're giving it, recommendations it, <laughs> in a lonely place. Tell us again. God, God said hi. God said hi. And in a lonely Julia place. Sweeney. It's probably hard to find. I don't know if it's streaming or anything. I honestly don't know. I don't know. I bought it. At, I bought it on DVD. I know you have a DVD. Also at Hastings. <laughs> Do you have? Did you happen to notice if the film we're talking about tonight, Woman on the Run, is that available for streaming, or do people have to find the DVD? That so we it found? is available on one of the streaming services. I looked this up. Prime, or I think it's Prime. Okay. Um, this it is, is one thing I'd like stream. to do a better job of on this show, yeah. by the way, now that we're 30 some odd episodes into it, is making sure that we can connect our listeners to the movies that we're talking yeah. about. It is it is available as a DVD and Blu-ray. Yes. Um, and that's, I gave it to you as a Christmas present. Yes. You told me all about exactly. it. We have to watch this. We have to watch this. <laughs> it ended up being a podcast movie. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wanted you to see it for a long time. And I'm, I'm, you know, as things do, you, they come across your mind and then you forget to look them up and then like years pass and you still haven't seen them. So thank you for taking the time to, to actually try to find it and, and well, figure out. I what didn't it remember was. what it was. This, yeah. is the, this is the common denominator. <laughs> we can never remember what this movie is called because it's not descriptive of the actual plot. Yeah, at all. exactly. And so I did have to Google and search around noir festival, film discovery, San Francisco, whatever, you know, we use library and Kung Fu to, to find it. So and we found it. I mean, I just, I just want to say what a good job it does of, of showing what it's like to walk around the city. I mean, I, after I lost my dad, which was in December, 2014, the first major road trip I took was this trip to the San, San Francisco. Francisco. So we drove and, you know, my dad, I, I remember him best behind the wheel. That's just, he would have all these deep conversations with me. So it was sort of this healing trip that I was taking. So we drove west out and into San Francisco through those gorgeous golden hills right mm-hmm. outside the city. And then, you know, over the hill and into the, and we came through the, I think we came over the Bay Bridge when we came That's in. how um, my dad and I used to come back from yeah. our trips to the Mojave Desert. Um, another story for another yeah. time. Maybe when we talk about <laughs> yeah. Paris, Texas, or actually we did talk about yeah. it probably a little bit on the Baghdad Cafe. Our most popular episode, strangely, <laughs> Baghdad Cafe. So I remember driving in and we pulled into, we were staying in, somewhere in the Tenderloin yeah. or near the Tenderloin, uh, right on, what is the big street? Um, Geary, I guess. Yeah. And we parked on some side street and it was before we could check in. And I just started walking, walking towards, I guess, where I was walking north, Yeah. you know, towards um, Russian Hill and... Uh-huh. Um, and it just, it looks, it looks like that. It just, it looks like what's on that screen that the houses are all the same and there's still the trolley car, um, cable car, cable car, um, California street, Powell street. street. Yeah. And you know, just like every time I go to San Francisco, I, I walked miles, miles yeah. and miles. I just walk, I just enjoy walking through that city. It's one of my favorite places just I don't have to do anything or go anywhere or have any major plans I just like to walk around and see all the stuff that is there and then you crest a hill and you see the bay yeah you see Alcatraz (laughs) Coit Tower yeah it's we're going there right yeah in August hopefully soon (laughs) maybe we should see a few more San Francisco films that uh, we haven't seen together before then but it's interesting to me because we went I went in in 2015 and in the spring the following spring we went together you and i yeah and that you know and then we went again i think those are some of our great trips (laughs) yeah 
and you know I could go again and again and again and you will yes and so you shall <laughs> um but it's it's interesting to see how it's changed it's not as filmed as some of the other you know it's not as filmed as New York or as filmed as there's a few films Vertigo um Lady from Shanghai mm-hmm. um this other film, which I think we're going to do for an extra last man in San, uh, last black, last man, black in, man in San, San Francisco, Francisco, which is just uh, released. Yes. Is, um, must see totally essential, beautiful, beautiful. And, um, we plan on doing an extra. Okay. And there's some, um, establishing shots in arachnophobia, which, uh, also there features San Francisco. Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. Right? That's One of right. the unsung films <laughs> San of San Francisco. You know, so it's, it's interesting cause it's not, to me, it's there's an atmosphere to film shot in San Francisco that's different from any other. I mean, I think Vertigo is the big example, but I mean, you feel it in this. You feel the the history and the I don't know the fog and the. And so the, Hitchcock was visiting <laughs> yeah. San Francisco and said, "I have to make a movie in San <laughs> yeah. Francisco." And before he came up with Vertigo or the story or went searching for what story needs to take place in San Francisco, like he just had that feeling of, "I need to shoot a movie here. Yeah. This is the perfect location." Then he went off and found that French novel and yeah. adapted it. <laughs> well, and what's interesting to me is that it has this very like with all the detail, it feels i mean and now it is a very rich city but like if you think about the history of about like all the different people who live there at different stages and like you know behind this sort of facade of these gorgeous detailed queen anne victorian homes there's like all sorts of i mean like they're they're broken into tiny flats and people are living different kinds of existences behind this sort of well i mean it all i mean it was the barbary coast yeah. long ago you yeah. know after the gold rush and everything where it was you know the whorehouses mm. and gangsters and like slums and yeah. like gambling and all that kind of stuff so there's it has such a history that mm. that you know made it what it is yeah now well and that it's um, not so much a slum anymore i guess yeah woman on the run kind of you know, brings up that one aspect of it, that sort of like crime and, you know, you know, artists trying to make it and, you know, all this. You walk around the Tenderloin now (laughs) and it's still all rooming houses and SROs and all those like old, Mm. like 1920s and 30s hotels. Yeah, the Tenderloin still, I mean, like when we stayed there still felt a little, you know, dangerous, you know, at times, you know, so, but, you know, it's less and less that way all the time, so. And do you have any other thoughts about this uh, this film or anything that brings up before we say farewell? I, I think we should see more Anne Sheridan. Boy, you know, watching her this time, her eyes are amazing. She has these sort of they sort of droop at the sides mm-hmm. or something like that, and they're so expressive. And what a strong voice! I know, yeah, and she's so funny. That's the thing, you know. Like and so con- consciously funny. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not making fun of her. It's jokes that she's making and her reactions to, to these kind of ridiculous men around she's her. She's never a victim. <laughs> yeah. She's in command. She's yeah. confident. She's weary. She's mm. strong. Yeah. She's at all of these things. And, it's uh, it's a great it's a noir film. Film and a, and an amazing well, great find. film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's maybe not a masterpiece of cinema, but it's yeah. a great overlooked film. Yeah. That I think um, if you seek it out, if anyone is able to find it, I think you will be rewarded. Yeah. 
So thank you for bringing it to my attention. Yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. <laughs> Let's do it again in two weeks. Yes. Um, so thank you again for listening to our show. Tell your friends about it. And if you have anything to say, um, if you want to ever chime in or bring in your own two cents, you can email us at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, shutupwatchthis. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the show if you can through your podcast app. And write us a review or a recommendation or a star rating on iTunes, Apple Store, and it'll help other people find us. Yes. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank and we you. will be back. With another something sometime soon. Yeah, soon. soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.